Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. We're so excited to be kicking off at the movies. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different films, uh, look at some of the biblical themes and truth that's found in them. You know, we can find uh, truth and biblical values in just about everything. And so this is not a series where we're going to be preaching movies to you, uh, but instead, you know, the ancient churches back in the day, they would have stained glass in their in their sanctuaries, in their auditoriums to kind of tell some stories and meeting in a movie theater. The screen is definitely our modern day stained glass. And so that's why we do these at the movie series, being one church meeting here in a, the- in a theater, uh, doing one of these series almost every year in the life of this church we've done. a Because so much of what we see in the movies does reflect our day-to-day life. Some of it we know is very fake and doesn't reflect the life. And so we hope that by looking at the biblical values, looking at the scripture, we can kind of connect these two worlds that often collide uh, and come away with a really awesome presentation. So we're going to be looking at Hacksaw Ridge this week. Next week, we'll look at Moana. The week after that, we'll look at The Shack. We'll end the series looking at Guardians of the Galaxy. So you don't want to miss one of those Sundays. We're really, really excited about it. This week, though, as you've seen, Hacksaw Ridge is the film we're going to look at. And we'll be in Genesis 39 as well. And we'll get there in just a few minutes. There are some words that drive me out of my mind crazy phrases, words that I wish people just wouldn't use. I wish we would stop using them. Every year, Lake Superior State University conducts a very analytical and important research study where they come up with the year's most annoying words. And every year they come up with a list of things that we should stop saying. 2017's list had words on it like dad bod, on fleek. Uh, years past, we've seen words like twerk and selfie and hashtag and Twitter sphere and YOLO uh, died a, a death a couple years ago on that list. If you don't know what any of those words are, get out of your house, talk to some young folks. But if you do know uh, what those words are, you know they can be annoying. I wish we would stop saying basic and bay. When you enjoy food, don't, don't type nom 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 on Facebook. I can't stand. I want to punch you. That's what that makes me want to do. Uh, the phrase turnt. My son, Tony, everything is turnt. That's turnt. That, what, where did it turn to? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I wish we would stop saying I can't even. Like you can't even what? Complete, uh, finish a sentence? You can't even have a complete thought? Like drives me out of my mind. I'm not a grammar Nazi or a grammar fascist, um, but I just, there's some words I, I want to avoid like the plague. How about you? Words that annoy you, terms that annoy you. I know some words that annoy you. Words like discipline. Yeah, y'all got quiet. Words like diet. Hello? Words like early, right? Those of you like to sleep in. Words like no. Those of you used to get in your own way, right? We all have words that we struggle with. There's one word as followers of Christ, as people who, who believe in God and his word, there's one word that I know has, it really, really challenges us and stretches us and has everything to do with this week's movie. And that's the word surrender. Surrender is a word that we really, really struggle with all of the time. And we're going to unpack why in a few minutes. Hacksaw Ridge, this is a story about PFC Desmond T. Doss. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor in spite of the fact that he never carried a weapon. He refused to bear arms during World War II, served in the Pacific Theater. Based on his religious grounds, he refused to bear arms, and he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for some some bravery that he had under fire. Uh, He was a Seventh-day Adventist, and, and basically because of his religious convictions, he wouldn't work on Saturday, and he wouldn't uh, 
compromise what he felt the scripture was telling him to do and that included carrying a weapon into combat but he believed in the cause of world war ii he believed in what we were fighting for so he wanted to serve in some capacity he just didn't want to kill he took that vow and so he enlisted in the united states army as a combat medic he was just decided i'll serve by saving lives and the army didn't want anything to do with him once they found out his position about carrying a weapon they questioned his sincerity they thought he was a pest they eventually resorted to physical violence and they beat him up they assaulted him they they would give him terrible duty every day uh, became more and more of like a living hell for him like they tried to torture him and beat it out of him and get him to quit because they didn't want anything to do with him but he wanted to serve he refused to quit he surrendered his comfort because he felt called to the service he felt called to the cause of the war so they court-martialed him and he he ended up winning that battle and so uh, in 1945 along with a host of marines he was on the island of okinawa and his unit faced this impossible mission they had to climb a steep and jagged cliff uh, called hacksaw ridge to the top of this plateau where on that plateau there were thousands of fortified japanese soldiers who were willing to give their life for that that rock in the middle of the pacific ocean and so under gunfire and explosions and you mean you could see the movie and all that and you you get that there, there was a, a terrible battle and the marines actually were pushed back off that cliff they had to retreat um, but dos stayed up there and under under intense fire and threat constant threat of his life he crawled on the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier and dragged several men to safety he would tie a rope around them and uh and you know lower them down and then go find another one and there was this crisis moment where it was a little overwhelming for him and he actually prays to the lord it's one of my favorite moments in the movie and he says lord please help me get one more just help me get one more. And one of the veterans of that battle, Carl Bentley, he also was on Hacksaw Ridge. He said it was as if God was with Doss, as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give for how we were all saved. In the end, PFC Desmond Doss saved 75 men, including his captain, Jack Glover, who wanted to kick him out of the, the military to begin with, wanted to kick him out of the service. He didn't even want him. He didn't even want him to serve there uh, in the army. He didn't want him serving there alongside Marines. He didn't want him serving in the service. So he wanted to kick him out, and he saved his life. Over a 12-hour period, Doss crawled around on his stomach at night, and he saved many lives. The same soldiers who shamed him, who beat him up, now praised him. And PFC Doss lived out John 15:13, which says, There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. He lived that out. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And this is a perfect example of that story. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I bring that up because we hear stories of a person like PFC Dawson. It wins the Medal of Honor, and we think that's too big of a task for us. But I believe as we look at what it means to deal with this word surrender, we'll realize that God can use us too as ordinary as we are, to do extraordinary things for him. Surrender is a word that normally conjures images of defeat, uh, giving up. But in life, in the kingdom of God, surrender is really our first step towards victory. It's our first step towards Jesus. In fact, Jesus surrendered his life by dying for us that we can have life, and it changed the world. So surrender is simply a decision to yield, a decision to let go, a decision to not be first to surrender our lives, our time, 
God owns all the time anyway, so just give a little bit of that back. Surrender our time. Surrender our capabilities. Surrender our finances. Doss surrendered his safety, and he saved lives. And God uses ordinary people like him, like Doss, to do extraordinary things. And that starts with surrender, when we surrender our lives to him first. In fact, our big idea is this. We find our lives when we lay them down. Some of us are searching for purpose. We're searching for value. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for community. Whatever it is you're searching for, I believe, and as we look into the scripture, I think it'll become apparent to us all that we're going to find what we're looking for when we lay down our lives. When we lay it all down, we really find our lives. One of the greatest examples of surrender outside of the story of, of Jesus, I think, is found in a story we don't often associate with surrender, and that's in Genesis 39. It's a story of a guy named Joseph. Have you heard the story? Joseph was the son of Jacob. He had 12 brothers, and uh, Joseph, when he was very young, about 17 years old, God gives him a dream, a vision, and in that dream, God essentially is telling Joseph, one day, everyone is going to bow down at your feet. They're going to bow down to you. So being 17 years old and not probably knowing better, Joseph goes and tells his father and his brothers, hey, guess what God said? You're going to bow down before me. You can imagine how they took that, right? Not too well. Uh, who is this cocky kid? Who is this little punk, right? In fact, the Bible says in, in Genesis that Joseph's brothers hated him because of that dream. When Joseph would come near, they're like, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dream. They absolutely despised him because of that. Joseph gets depicted often as this bratty kid, this spoiled kid, because his dad gave him this colorful coat. And maybe he was a little bit. I wasn't there. You weren't there either, so we don't know. But what, it, what does seem clear is that God saw something in Joseph, and he chose to reveal this plan to Joseph, and chose to take Joseph on this journey to fulfilling that plan. Joseph faced opposition, though. He faced opposition. His brothers hated him because of the father's love towards him. So Joseph's father loved Joseph, it seemed like, more than the rest, and so they hated him because of that. And so you who are in this room and you're following Jesus and you're walking in the love of God the Father, don't be shocked when people hate you too. Jesus says that. Don't be shocked when you face opposition as you're trying to do the right thing. And Joseph's brothers also hated God's plan for Joseph's life. So they didn't just hate Joseph because he had the Father's love. They hated that Joseph seemed to have direction. He seemed to have a purpose. He seemed to live for something bigger than himself. And so they really hated him for that. And you know, that same thing is going to be true for us when we say yes to Jesus. We're yes to the church, yes to community, yes to something bigger than ourselves. We're going to probably face some opposition too. So, Joseph's brothers, their solution to the dreamer was to beat him up. Kind of like that scene you saw in the clip where they jump in PFC DOS. Joseph gets assaulted by his brothers and they beat him up and they throw him into a well and thankfully one of his older brothers said hey let's not kill the boy at least let's make some money off of him and so they decide we're going to sell joseph into slavery um, and then we'll just lie and tell dad that joseph died but then at least we get rid of him but we didn't kill him and so joseph gets beaten up he gets thrown sold into slavery and that where we find ourselves in this text in genesis 39 is after joseph had been sold into slavery so let's start reading in genesis chapter 39 verse 2 it says this the lord was with joseph so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his egyptian master potiphar that's the egyptian master by the way potiphar noticed this and realized that the lord was with joseph giving him success in everything he did 
This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of the master's property, it's like God began to bless everything that Joseph did. Verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Some of y'all are worried about that right now, right? It's almost lunchtime. He he only worried about what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. This is where trouble begins to happen in Joseph's life. Trouble. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. In this moment, Joseph is surrendering his pleasure. He's surrendering his natural desire. We read this story... And too often, we take this position of self-righteousness. And if we're honest, we like to think that we would do the same thing Joseph would do. We like to read that story and say, yeah, that's right, Joseph, stand up for God's word. But let me just tell you, I know some of you. You're not that spiritual. I hear some of them nervous chuckles. You're not that good. Are you kidding me? You got all that power. The boss is away. He trusts you with everything. And you're telling me that you have what it takes to say, sorry, lady but I'm going to serve God. I'm telling you, that is not easy to do. And God save us if we ever get so full of ourselves that we think, oh yeah, I'd make the right decision too. God puts these stories in the scripture not to show us of how righteous we are, but to show us of how absolutely dependent on his grace and his power we have to be if we're ever going to make it through times of temptation, through times of suffering like this. And for a young single guy with power and money and the boss's hot wife keeps coming on to you, that is called suffering to say no to that every single day. I'm just real talk, right? That's suffering. To have something, to see something that you could take and nobody would know, right? But see, Joseph knew there's one person that would know. Who? The one who matters the most. God. So Joseph said, I'm not going to be a practical atheist. You know a practical atheist, right? Believes God in their head, but acts like God doesn't exist. Joseph's like, no, he's real, and I'm going to believe in him, so I'm not going to sin against him by doing this. And here's how Joseph is rewarded for his moment of purity. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him day after day. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. We read this story sometimes and we skip past exactly how grueling this had to be for this young, in-shape, powerful young man to say no. Could you imagine day after day? Joseph was a slave at this point, right? And what did slaves do for a living? Whatever the boss wanted them to do. So it's not like Joseph could clock out early. He couldn't call in sick. He couldn't say, sorry, I'm not going to work today. Every day he had to show up to the place where he knew his greatest temptation would be. And every day he chose to do God's will, the right thing. Verse 11, one day no one else was around when he went to do his work. 
She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come and sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hands as he ran from the house. And when she saw that she was holding back his cloak and fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make a fool of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. And she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought in our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Again, Joseph does the right thing. And look where it gets him. In trouble. Can you relate to that? You try to do the right thing. You try to stand up for what's right, and it just gets thrown back in your face. You try to make the right decision. You try to stand up for a good value, and it seems like, man, I, I can't win. That's kind of where Joseph's at in this story. He tries to do the right thing, and it ends up just costing him every time. But here's the thing about surrender. Surrender is relinquishing control of my life to God. Surrender really is saying, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to trust God. So God, you're going to be in control. Because I'm trying to do the right things and it seems like things are not working out. The only way Joseph can continue to live a pure life, a life of character, is to just relinquish control of his life. Is to say, God, the least I can do is give it all back to you. And so that's what Joseph chooses to do in this situation. Let's keep reading. Verse 19 says, Potiphar was so furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prisoners and the prison warden. Before long, the warden Uh, put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Are you seeing a theme in Joseph's life? The Lord is with him every single step of the way. Joseph went from being the father's favorite son to being beaten up to being thrown into a a cistern, to being sold into slavery, to being promoted in slavery, to being demoted to prison, to being promoted in prison, and every single time, what's the common theme? The Lord is with him, and everything he does succeeds. It reminds me of what the guy said about PFC Doss. He said, it's almost like the Lord was with him. It's almost like the Lord had his hand on his shoulders, moving him every single step of the way. And see, that's what surrender is all about. Surrender is believing that God's plan for my life is good, regardless of my circumstances. That's what real surrender is. It's understanding that God's plan for me is so much bigger than I could ever understand. It's good, regardless of what's happening right now. Joseph faced multiple setbacks, but every single time he faced a setback, who was with him? The Lord. And the New Testament, we hear, if God is for me, who could be against me? If God is with me, I win every single time. And Joseph is really living that out in his story. Joseph was denied multiple times by his family, by his brothers, by Potiphar. He was denied multiple times, but Joseph never denied God. He chose character at all costs. He said, far be it for me to sin against God. Joseph could have said, you know what? I've been doing the right thing. 
and I was just trying to honor God by sharing my vision. These guys beat me up and sold me for no reason. You know what? I deserve this woman. I deserve this power. Joseph could have taken a position of pride, but instead, every single time, he chooses to honor God, to surrender to God. Day after day, in face of temptation, day after day, in times of struggle, he chose godly character every time. He knew anything less than what God wanted for him would just be a counterfeit. It wouldn't be real. So, Joseph ends up in prison now. He ends up in prison not because of anything that he had done wrong. He ends up in prison because of what he had done right. Now, that doesn't make any sense in our culture, does it? (laughs) He ends up locked up for doing the right thing. By choosing character, he ends up in prison. And nowhere in Joseph's story of rejection in his story of false accusation and living in these crazy conditions, nowhere in that story does he ever surrender to discouragement. He never surrenders to unbelief. He never surrenders to bitterness or cynicism or a loss of hope. Instead, he uses every next step as another step to honor God. So much so that even when Joseph is in prison, he gets promoted. But Joseph never forgets the original plan of God for his life. What was Joseph's original dream? One day, everyone's going to come do what? Bow down before you. And he never forgets that. So many times, we get halfway and think we've arrived, and we get comfortable, and we settle. When Joseph was sold into slavery, God was with him, and everything he touched turned into awesome, and he got promoted. He was the chief slave. But what do you call a slave who's in charge of all the slaves? A slave. You're still a slave, man. Then he gets in trouble, he didn't do anything wrong, but he gets put into prison, and then he's so awesome as a prisoner, he gets promoted to be in charge of all the prisoners. But what do you call a prisoner who's in charge of all the prisoners? A prisoner or a a snitch, right? Something, right? Like, probably a rat. Joseph wasn't a rat. Relax, I'm not saying that. But he's still in prison. It doesn't matter that he's getting those promotions. Joseph never settled. He understands that there's something bigger at play here. There's something bigger at work. So Joseph just keeps on following God, keeps on choosing character, keeps on surrendering his will in exchange for God's, surrendering his pleasure for his purpose, and in the end, it adds up. So Joseph's in prison, and these two guys are in there with him, a cupbearer and a baker, I believe, and they have these wild dreams. They can't interpret them. Joseph interprets them, and basically the translation of those dreams are, one of you is going to get an awesome promotion, and the other one of you is going to die. Have a great day, right? That's basically what happens, and that's true. One of them gets promoted, one of them dies. And the one who gets promoted, Joseph says, hey, bro, don't forget me. He didn't say, hey, bro, but, you know, for, for time's sake. Hey, man, don't forget me. When you get out, remember me, Joseph, interpreter of dreams, ruler of the prisoners, right? Awesome guy, wrongfully accused. You know my story, right? Don't forget me when you get out. And you know how it is. You know, oh, man, I got you, man. I got you, fam. Right? He forgot all about Joseph, man. Like... So anyway, the Pharaoh has this dream, another crazy dream. You could do a whole sermon series just on dreams about the life of Joseph. It's pretty awesome. So Pharaoh has a dream. And in the dream, essentially, that dream, God is telling Pharaoh that, listen, great famine is coming to the land. Seven years of good times, seven years of terrible times that the world's never seen. And the Pharaoh can't understand it because the dream doesn't really make sense. You know, there's cows eating cows and, and, and plants eating plants, and it's kind of psychedelic. But Joseph, the interpreter of dreams, the, 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 the guy who gets out of jail, remembers, oh, yeah, there's this guy we have locked up. He's good at this dream stuff. Get him. So they get Joseph. And Joseph interprets the dream. 
And Pharaoh's like, you're amazing, you're awesome. And so Pharaoh promotes Joseph to governor of the land. He basically says, you're going to be the number two, the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. If you know anything about ancient Near East history, you know that's a pretty big deal. Because Egypt was a very big deal nation at this time. At age 17, God tells Joseph, the world is going to come and bow down before you. And then at age 30, all of a sudden it clicks to Joseph. And he realizes that his destiny wasn't about him. It wasn't about people bowing down to him. It was about something so much bigger, so much greater. And Joseph had to go through all of those trials, all of that temptation, all of that surrendering to get to the place where he was. But in the end, Joseph comes up with this plan of how they can stockpile and save food. And basically the whole world would have to come to Egypt. The known world would come to Egypt in order to find food. So Joseph does this. Thousands, if not millions of lives are saved. And, and, and it's just a powerful story of God kind of turning around someone. But guess who was at front and center of this story of the people who were saved? Joseph's family. The very people who spit at him and beat him up and thought he was worthless and thought he was arrogant, those very same people who accused him of not having a pure motive ended up having to come to him hat in hand asking for food. They were humble. The people who took the road of pride actually end up being humbled in Joseph's story. And the same thing happens in Hacksaw Ridge in PFC Doss's story. The same guys who were kicking him in the face in the barracks were actually saved by him. They were shot, couldn't move, and he reached out and saved them. Talk about a humbling experience to have to look in the eyes of a guy that you punched in the nose because you thought he was a coward. And here he is, instead of saving his own life, what does PFC Doss do? He puts his life on the line to save him. Joseph chose character at all costs. And in the end, he has this great reunion with his family. In verse 45 of, excuse me, verse 2 of Genesis 45, it says that he wept loudly, it's Joseph, he wept loudly at the reunion, deeply grateful to be reunited with his family once again. Deeply grateful to be united with the people who betrayed him. Only a life of surrender can get to that place of humility, can get to that place where you realize it's something bigger than our beef. Now, as a side note, in the chapters we've skipped between chapter 39 and 45, there's some pretty cool mind games that Joseph plays with his brothers. It's a pretty funny story if you read it. He kind of keeps them dangling out there, you know, makes them do a little bit of suffering. So just a little bit, not too much. But he does make them suffer a little bit before he finally reveals himself to them. But what happens is Joseph's whole family, they end up So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. What a powerful statement to make. It was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and governor of Egypt. See, a life of surrender leads you to your destiny, ultimately. That thing you're searching for, that's how you find it, by surrender. Joseph found it. What profound wisdom he has, even at 30 years old, to say, you know what? God's the one who promoted me. For him to say God's the one who promoted him, logically, it's him saying God's the one who helped me in my time of temptation. 
God's the one who allowed me to be put in prison, who allowed me to be sold into slavery. God's the one who allowed... That doesn't mean that all this bad and stuff comes from God. It's, listen, God can use that circumstance if we're faithful to Him. Does that make sense? God's the, it's not saying God caused your car wreck. It's saying God is so big, He can take that car wreck and turn it into something awesome. If you trust Him. If you surrender your life, live a life of surrender. And that's what happens in the life of Joseph. In chapter 50, verse 20, he reminds his brothers again. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. What did God intend for good? All. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. P.F.C. Doss in the movie Hacksaw Ridge faces a lot of persecution. He's put in jail. He's beaten up. But in the end of that story, especially to those 75 men, and think of the ripple effect of those 75 men who probably were gotten married and had kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. Think of the generations that were impacted because one person realized, God sent me here. You guys thought I was here out of pride. You guys thought I was just trying to be this religious, zealous freak. But all along, God put me here on this bloody rock to save you guys to save many lives. That's truly finding purpose. It's powerful when you realize just the, the power that comes from surrender. So what does that mean for us today? Like you might listen to that and say, yeah, that's all good for a guy who won the Medal of Honor and for this guy named Joseph in the Bible. That's kind of a big deal. But I'm just an ordinary person. Remember, God uses ordinary people to do what? Extraordinary things. Absolutely, and we find our lives when we lay them down. So what that means for us is quite simple. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about it in Colossians chapter 2. He says this, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him, and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness powerful truths right in there so you say yes to jesus now follow him you have to keep following him and in the gospels jesus says if anyone wants to follow me he has to deny himself take up his cross and follow it means surrender if i'm going to follow jesus i have to be willing to give up my way give up what i think is best and instead trust him then once you follow he says let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. So it's literally this surrender means I'm going to live this life where he is my world. My world revolves around Jesus. My world, revol world revolves around what does God want for me? He's the anchor that holds me. My roots are down in him. And he's the platform for everything I do. I'm built upon him. And he says, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So if you're wondering, hey, how do I grow in my faith? The apostle Paul just told us, surrender. Surrender. Salvation is living a life of surrender. Salvation is truly living a life of surrender. At One Church, we always talk about next steps. Every one of us has a next step to take. And this is really what's outlined for us in this story. It's surrendering every day. 
I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my, my comfort, and I'm going to not be ashamed. I'm going to be baptized in water, go public with my faith. I'm going to surrender my time. I'm going to surrender my preferences. I'm going to join community. I'm going to surrender what I want to do. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to give back because God has given so much to me. Every single step we take as this community called One Church centers on this idea that it's not about us. We're going to surrender. I believe that dormant in the life of every follower of Christ is the power to change the world. Inside of each and every one of you is the power to change the world. But unleashing that power starts with surrender. It starts with giving ourselves over to God. So practically, what do we do with this? First thing is we have to trust God. That seems so obvious, right? Trust God. Trust God. Understand that there is a God and you are not that God. Some of y'all, that was news today, but I'm just letting you know. You are not God. I'm very glad that I'm not God, because we all would be in trouble. I'm just telling you. It'd be a bad day if I was God. There would be no cats nor cat lovers. There would be no, there would be no celery, right? There'd be no celery on planet Earth. The mosquito would not have made it onto the ark, right? If, you, you know, if you're in all that, right? There, what purpose do they serve? Like, there would be uh, many cupcakes, like a smaller version of a smaller version of a cake. Like, that wouldn't exist. Nor the person who thought of that existing like that. It would just be bad for some of us if I were God, you know. If some of you guys were God, we'd be in trouble, right? We talked, Pastor Chris talked about this God loved so much that he gave. I know how some of y'all give, right? It'd be, we'd be in trouble, right, you know. We'd be in trouble. And the way your moods change and your moods swing, like I'm so glad. Listen, there is a God and you are not that God. And I'm not that God. Thank God, right? Thank God. So we have to trust him. The scripture tells us that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so, so far God's ways above our ways. This doesn't mean that God is mysterious and we can't understand him, that he hasn't revealed himself through Jesus in his word by the power of his spirit. It doesn't mean that we can't know the truth of God, that we can't know God's ways. What it means is, is that he's still sovereign, he's still in control, and even though it doesn't make sense in my little pea brain, I still have to trust him. Every day, surrender starts with trusting God. Trust God. Second thing is you have to choose character at all costs. This is hard. This is not easy to do. But choose character. Choose the godly value. When everyone else is running towards dishonesty this week, you choose to be honest. When everyone else is being selfish, you choose to be selfless. When everyone else is compromising their integrity, everyone else is compromising their moral values, you be the one that says, no, I don't believe that's the way that I'm going to live. When everyone else is being hateful in word and deed, what do we choose? Love. Choose character at all costs. That's what Joseph did. And look at how his life ended up. That's what PFC Doss did. You may disagree with his religious convictions, but you can't knock the man for standing up for what he believed. No matter how many times they punched him, no matter how much time they put him in jail, they threatened his life, they threatened him with court-martial, he chose character at all costs. And in the end, he saved many lives. Third is this. Think we, not me. Think we, not me. It's not about you. You say, what's not about me? Yes. Everything. It's not about you. Right? There's more to living than being alive. There's more to just coming to church of getting your little bless me and I got my goosebump and I'm good. Everything we do is about community. How can I make you better? How can I help someone else? How can I serve someone else? It's not about you. Joseph realized his dream was not about him. He said, God sent me to save you. This whole time, I could have taken, he could have taken a selfish road and been mad that he was persecuted, but instead he realized it's not about me. 
so much bigger than just me. Same thing PFC Doss did. He realized it's not about my comfort. I want to save lives. What he said with everyone taking lives, is it such a bad thing that I want to help put back together some stuff? Like with all this death and destruction, it's not about me. And then finally, remember that there's always one more. What I love about Hacksaw Ridge is that prayer, God, help me find one more. What I love about the heart of Joseph was him realizing, God sent me ahead of you to save many lives. It wasn't just about saving Joseph or Pharaoh's house or saving Egypt. It was the whole world is going to be able to come here and be saved. God's going to use me to save multitudes. It's not just about you. There's always one more person. And we've learned this in our shark series that we, we finished up uh, last week. We know that found people find people because there's always one more person who needs the life-changing gospel of Jesus. One more person who needs the hope and the truth that you have. One more person who needs the grace of God. So we never stop. Even if we have to crawl on our bellies through the gunfire and tie a rope around them to drag them into this community we call the church, we never stop because there's always one more. That's what a life of surrender practically looks like. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He used PFC Doss to save lives because Doss surrendered his will in exchange for something greater. And God used Joseph of old to save many lives because Joseph laid down his right to be right in exchange for something so much greater. Let me ask you, who can we rescue in Clarksville? Who needs us? Who can you help? Who can you help in the world, in our town, come to know this awesome truth, come to have this abundant life that those of us who are in Christ have? I'm telling you, it starts with surrender. We find our lives when we lay them down. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your, of your word to save us. Thank you for teaching us your truth. Help us, I pray, to live for you more than ever before. God, if there's a person here who has not yet said yes to you, let this be the day that they do that, that they say, Lord... Forgive me for going my own way. I'm going to follow you. And God, I know as they pray and as they say, God, that they're sorry they've blown it, they repent, they confess that to you, God. You do what only you can do. You save. Thank you for that truth. God, help us all to take a next step today. Like today, help us to take that next step in following you, letting our roots grow in you. And more than all that, God, help us to be, always be on mission, always looking for the one that needs rescuing. I thank you that you demonstrated your love for us by dying for us, by saving us. Help us to be people completely surrendered to you, surrendered to each other in community, God, and surrendered to your mission and to your cause. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks.